what we should have seen in the attacks on Barack Obama. Hello everybody, welcome to the conversation, I'm David Schuster. A lot of people know that Donald Trump fueled his rise to power in part by his claims about Barack Obama, the lies that Barack Obama was not entitled to be president because of a birth certificate. Well, there's a fascinating new book that is out that goes even deeper. And it digs into the right wing attacks on Barack Obama and what it says about racism in America through the years. The book is called Trash Talk, Anti-Obama Lore and Race in the 21st Century. It was written by UCLA professor Patricia Turner and Dr. Turner joins us now. Uh, Dr. Turner, welcome to the show. What motivated you to write this? Um, I suspected from the very emergence of Barack Obama in 2004, after he nominated John Kerry for the nomination that if, if he had, if that appeal stuck, if that positiveness stuck with him on the left, it was going to be balanced by extraordinary venom on the right. And that the kinds of rumors, legends, and conspiracy theories that I'd been tracking for many years at that juncture about race were going to have an impact on him and his family. Should we have been able to see a Donald Trump-like attack, whether it was Donald Trump or somebody else, the stuff that he used to set himself apart, should that have been predicted? I think that there was a lot of of, of evidence, um, but not quite in plain sight. You had to, in particularly in the early days, you really had to infuse yourself on the right wing blogs, be in those conversations, be listening to those radio programs. But as the internet became more and more democratized, and in a way it would be easier to check into once once people are posting on Facebook, once Twitter is more prominent, once Reddit and all of these things are more available. I think people on, on the left could have um, seen disturbing patterns at that juncture. And those patterns, describe what was particular about the attacks on Barack Obama, whether from Donald Trump or anybody else, and, and why those were so distinctive. Well, he went, the, the, the attacks were about identity much more than they were about policy or practices. If you're thinking about a politician, you're thinking that what he or she represents is probably what people are gonna go after. But with Barack Obama, people alleged that he was misrepresenting his faith, the notion that he was a Muslim, that he was misrepresenting his place of birth, that he was misrepresenting that he was a closet homosexual. These are all things that have to do with identity. They don't have to do with his position on healthcare or education or the space program. But the attacks about him and many of them about Michelle were rooted in their in their very core in their very core identities. And what does it say that those attacks on identity as opposed to policy, that attacks on identity were so effective and so impactful in this day and age? It says that the, the tenacity of racist stereotypes, the tenacity of, of white supremacy um, can, can, cannot, be, cannot be underestimated. I think there was a moment after his 
you know, each of his sort of milestones, right? The fact that he got the Democratic nomination in the first place, the fact that he was elected in, in the first term. There was all of this um, talk about a post-racial America and all of these, these notions that this represented once and for all movement past the kinds of racism that had so uh, impacted our past. But but it was there all along, all of the evidence of people rejecting him and rejecting him because they couldn't pronounce his name and rejecting him and his wife because they didn't like the way they looked. One of the reasons that perhaps America got lulled into not being aware of things in the right wing is that there were a number of prominent Republicans, even Senator John McCain, who lost the 2008 race to Barack Obama, celebrated that this was the first African American to be elected president of the United States. And that is a milestone that is worth celebrating here in America. It seemed like there were enough Republicans, enough centrists, even people who didn't necessarily support Barack Obama, who opposed his policy, who were celebrating this breakthrough that had caused so much, at least of the mainstream media and so many others to sort of see the, the right wing fringe as just that, a sort of a lunatic fringe. Exactly, they minimized them. And what we didn't realize until 2016 is that acceptance of Barack Obama by John McCain, by Mitt Romney, the fact that they did not espouse the hardcore racist venom actually diminished their ability to attract those voters. So they didn't get elected, right? They ran against Barack Obama, John McCain doesn't get elected, Mitt Romney doesn't get elected. The candidate, now he wasn't running against, but he did sort of, you know, you know, Trump did campaign against Obama much, much more than anyone anticipated, given that his opponent was Hillary Clinton. But he wanted to tell the voters that he was someone as as offended by the presence of a Barack and Michelle Obama in the White House as they were. And that became a significant portion of the base that put him into office. What is it about that sort of fear or sort of antipathy or just sort of racism? What is it that that drives that? I mean, you'd think Americans looking out and you know, most Americans know people who are African American, work with them, have gone to school with them. But there's something about an African American leader and that sort of fear that people have that somehow Donald Trump and others are able to, to leverage. What is that? Part of it is a reflection, I think, of individuals' own um, uneasiness about their place. You hear a lot about um, the, 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 the death of the American dream, that these are people who do not see that their children will have a better future than they had. And they're looking for a scapegoat. And the African-American population, African-American leaders have always been a convenient state scapegoat in that way of thinking. And what does it say, therefore, about where racism stands here in the 21st century? Obviously, so many people associate, you know, the 20th century was sort of the uh, the end of Jim Crow, the civil rights era, the battle for sort of equal rights. So many Americans going into the 21st century probably thought, okay, we're past all of that. Now it's just about you know who you are and how hard you work. But what does it say about where where racism really stands right now? I think that we have to, I, th I think it's a sobering observation to make that we have to be very aware of that population. You know, they 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 brought a noose on January 6th. The Confederate flag was being flown. So the the it, it's very cyclical, 
right? We have these waves, you know, after the Civil War, people thought we were gonna be in a post-racial America. Um, but then we dove down after the end of Reconstruction and every milestone in our history through the 20th century, we have steps up and then we get tumbled down. And as overt as Donald Trump may have been, it seems like there's a perhaps um, a less overt, but still seemingly as damaging rhetoric that comes from Ron DeSantis, say the governor of Florida, when he talks about Florida being an anti-woke state and we're gonna chase wokeism like you know Churchill chased out the Nazis. And it seems like, at least it feels like anti-woke is sort of a code word for, yeah. what do you make of that? Yeah, yeah, there are all kinds of euphemisms, right? When people say they're anti-woke, when they say that they want to remove critical race theory from the curriculum, what they're really saying is that they don't want their students to be taught about Barack Obama. There was a teacher recently who was asked to take down from his bulletin board images of Barack Obama. Um, so there, you know, you know, wokeism is just another euphemism to um, and antagonize voters who, again, I think feel as though there's a vulnerability there. Ironically, they often accuse African-Americans of playing a victim card, but they present themselves as victims. For everybody in society who is trying to either educate or enlighten people who may have these sort of impulses, is there a solution for us as a society in terms of not only recognizing that this is a problem, but actually taking steps to somehow try to enlighten people? Well, you know, I'm going to sound like a college professor here. So, um, um, obviously, education I think is important. Um, another thing I think that we can help—it's not just a matter of education uh, uh, about the history and cultures of our people—but another component that exacerbated the lore against Barack Obama, and that's always at play with with rumors and conspiracy theories, are individuals who try to figure out how to profit on it. So you mentioned, I think, in the intro, the, the birthers and the people who made the case that Barack Obama was not born in, in the United States. That became a revenue stream for individuals to support themselves. And I think if we teach the successive generations and ourselves and each other that many of these positions are being um, presented to us by individuals who are trying to um, profit off of them, nobody wants that, right? Nobody wants to be taken advantage of financially. So I think that that's another entree point to diminishing the potency of this material. Dr. Turner, real quickly here, any reaction that you've heard from either Barack Obama, Michelle Obama, their associates or friends about the book? No, the book is just out and I found a the addresses that you use online to mail things to the Obamas. So I, I mailed them copies of the book, one for each of them. I've not heard anything yet, so um, I, I would certainly welcome that. And I would imagine that they probably intuitively understand and appreciate the book and because they lived through it and probably saw the vitriol and the venom come at them in a way that was so unprecedented for a national political figure. Yeah, absolutely. The book is called Trash Talk, Anti-Obama Lore and Race in the 21st Century. It is a remarkable look at some of the right-wing attacks on Barack Obama starting in 2004 when he gave that remarkable speech nominating John Kerry at the convention in Boston to be the Democratic nominee. And it follows through some, some of the attacks of Barack Obama all the way through 2016 and even those that exist now and what it says about racism here in the 21st century. Patricia Turner, Professor of African American Studies at UCLA. Dr. Turner, thanks for joining us, we appreciate it. Thanks for having me, David. You got it.
Welcome back to the conversation. I'm David Schuster. Ever since the FBI raid and Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago, right-wing groups have been extreme right-wing groups have been flooding social media, TikTok, YouTube, and the rest with claims of coming violence, even threatening a civil war. What is going on here? Here to talk about all of this, Laura Taliano, she is senior correspondent for Insider. Uh, Laura, this reaction from the extreme right is surprising to a lot of people. But explain what's going on. Well, I don't, you know, I don't think it's surprising that there has been a backlash uh, from the extreme right. But um, I'll tell you, David, what surprised me was where you're seeing some of that backlash, and that's on mainstream online sites uh, like, like you're saying, TikTok, uh, YouTube, Twitter, um, where uh, some, you know, violence, uh, violent ideas, uh, calls to lock and load, uh, calls to fight back, and any by any means necessary uh, display of assault rifles. Um, you know, are part of of what what you see and and what uh, you know the monitors on on this site are you know uh, often a few thousand views behind in finding and and taking down. It suggests that there's a total lack of understanding or perhaps even respect now for institutions like the courts. Uh, it came out, of course, very quickly to people who didn't know better that you need a federal judge to sign off on this warrant. A federal judge did sign off on this warrant, found probable cause that Donald Trump committed perhaps espionage. There's all sorts of information about the, the crown jewels of US classified information that Donald Trump took with them. Mm -hmm. One would think if you're taking out you know, Donald Trump out of the equation and you just think, okay, politicians steals documents, that most people across the spectrum would support some sort of FBI raid or some sort of justice. What is it about Donald Trump that makes him so unique? Well, well, you know, I, I think if any of us were in the fact silo that a lot of a lot of um, you know far right adherents live in, you would be outraged too, right? I mean, you hear that, and then all of this is false or uh, completely unsupported by by evidence. You hear that uh, the FBI may have planted evidence that was an idea touted by uh, Donald Trump's own lawyer on Fox. Um, you hear that uh, the IRS is, uh, you know, uh, arming its agents. Uh, in as part of a war of the uh, woke government against against uh, law-abiding gun owners, so you know, I mean, you hear some of these theories, and they they are coming out of the Trump camp. They are coming out of uh, Trump supporters, and they're coming from uh, Donald Trump himself in in his uh, in his uh, Truth Social uh, 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 site uh, talking about. And it's also illogical, right? I mean, the idea that the FBI, if they were gonna, and look, the FBI and police have a long history of planting evidence, so I'll agree with that. But the idea that they would plant classified nuclear secrets, why would they plant classified nuclear? I mean, some of this just doesn't make any sense. And initially it's all they're planning, now then they're not planting, was classified, sure. no, Donald Trump had the power to declassify it, no, there was a total hoax. It feels like the defense has been changing so much that that would somehow perhaps tamp down whatever enthusiasm and outrage some people on the right might have had. You're absolutely right. How could the FBI plant evidence that, I mean, if it's if it's in the top secret classification, uh, a lot of the, the most secret uh, uh, documents have to be carried around in locked bags. I mean, how would that even work, um, planting this material? Uh, you know, and I think we're going to see as this case nears um, 
a possible uh, 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 criminal charge and, and court proceeding, we're going to see chain of custody on those on those documents that show exactly how they leapt from uh, you know whatever locked bag they may have originated in to uh, Donald Trump's uh, possession, perhaps in his White House, uh, in White House to a box that then went to Mar-a-Lago. I'm sure that uh, if this does reach the stage of a criminal case, that there will be um, a chain of custody established. You know, and I would imagine to show where. And I would imagine that some of these, you know, right-wing groups have freaked out this much just over an FBI raid. One can only imagine the reaction if there is an actual indictment and criminal charges brought against Donald Trump. How much the reaction might sort of spasm out of control? How would that even work, right? You wonder because um, Donald Trump has been able to avoid appearing in person on any number of of civil um, actions against him, lawsuits and such. He does, you know, he can. Take a deposition in private and not and not not walk into a courtroom. But if he is criminally charged, if that happens, you know he's going to have to walk into a courtroom. And what what will happen at the defense table? Will there be a Secret Service sitting next to him? You know, there's, um, a, there's a lot of chatter for people who are sort of following the case and trying to figure out what was Donald Trump's motive. Was it really as simple as oh he wanted secrets that he could sell to the Saudis, or he wanted secrets that he could sort of hold on because he thought it was kind of cool to have them? Is there much discussion among these right wing groups about a motive for Donald Trump taking things from the White House, or is it just completely this is all a hoax? Donald Trump has been framed. I I think you see a mix of Donald Trump has been framed with false evidence, and you also see. Well, hell, he's president of the United States, and he's it's his stuff, which is what you know Trump Trump himself kind of argues. It's my stuff, you know, and I said it was okay for me to have it. So therefore, you know, I was president when I did that, and it's it's therefore okay. Glossing over the the top secret nature that we're being told, you know, uh, of these documents uh, that they are basically radioactive as far as um, a member of the public, as a former president is a member of the public, even even having them in in his possession. How much of a uh, recruiting tool for the Oath Keepers, the Proud Boys, other groups on the right has this particular raid been? Well, you see the people, agencies, you know, nonprofits and organizations that monitor extremism, and it's a booming business. There are a lot of people who who do this for a living now, watching extremism, warning, sounding warnings about rises in extremism, and they say that it's been a huge increase directly from Mar-a-Lago, and a lot of people, you know, a lot of angry people are posting, well. If this happened to the president of the United States, it could happen to any of us. And the FBI can walk into our home and serve a warrant, which you know has obvious logical, you know, uh, logical problems. And well, yeah, because the FBI they can do that. <laughs> if a prosecutor, somebody goes to the FBI or police and says, but, "Look, we think that this person is stashing something illegal, or they have weapons they're not entitled to." Of course, the indeed, and they can come in. The seizure of of uh, uh, illegal property, illegally held property. Do you get a sense in terms of um, was this just sort of a bubbling sort of feeling on the right that was just sort of looking for some uh, excuse to sort of explode? Or is this something particular about uh, Donald Trump and Mm. then the circumstances of this raid that is causing all of this to erupt? Well, you know, you do see um, a simmering anger 
you know, you do see an anger on the left and on the right. Although, you know, on the right, it's it's extreme, and you hear calls for anti-government action and violence, even. Um, and I think every, I think we're going to see this. It's just a fact of uh, the temperature out there. And every now and then, it may, like it did on January 6, coalesce, coalesce around a time and a place, and uh, and perhaps get ugly again. You mentioned that uh, the, the sort of the amount of uh, vitriol information that's sort of coming out there, and that there are groups that are you know nonprofit groups, so they're trying to watch it. But it sounds like also there's not enough of these nonprofit groups that they can't keep up with the flow of how intense this information has been. Mm, well, you know, the the people who need to uh, really need to be uh, keeping track of the flow are you know your Twitters and and YouTubes and and uh, and TikToks, and they are. I mean, they are they are trying to stamp these things out. Um, but they're always a few inches behind, I think, you know, a few, a uh, few hundred views behind before they can uh, take the site down. And then you have sites like 4chan and 8chan and, you know, openly uh, uh, white nationalist and anti-Semitic and neo-Nazi uh, websites that aren't doing any, any monitoring at all. And so, um, you know, anything goes and, and uh, um, you know, there's not, not a lot of action, you know, that can be taken. About about those, you know. And so monitoring the the dark web, as people call them. I mean, that really is. I mean, the the advantage for groups is that you know their communications are largely walled off from prosecutors. The the the, the downside. For well, that, well, it's not as it's not I as mean, in the mainstream. It may not necessarily help them recruit. It's people like-minded folks talking to one another. Un, unless there's a, a specific incredible threat um, made in one of these posts, uh, a, cre a credible meaning, you know, it's not just somebody say, oh, I hate the FBI, but a specific incredible threat, um, then, uh, you know, it's still America and you're entitled to your, you know, you're entitled to your opinion. The people who are making these threats of civil war violence, are they providing enough uh, specific information that would enable federal prosecutors, Department of Justice to be able to track them down and say, okay, this person actually is threatening sitting president of the United States, members of Congress, or mm -hmm. is it more vague? I'm told that it can take days and even a week or more for an anonymously made threat to to be tracked down, you know, and often the government, the FBI usually handles these. The FBI will need to get a court order for, you know, the the geolocation, the IP address in order to put a a name to the uh, to whoever's making the threat, you get the so. sense that this you get the sense that this stuff uh, gets tamped down or dies down if Donald Trump does not run for re-election. Uh, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Uh, I I can imagine um, him still being in the sidelines, um, agitating even if he's not you know directly uh, you know directly in the race. So. I, I suspect uh, Donald Trump's going to be around for a while, and uh, you know, and stoking stoking these uh, these embers, and and there will be flare-ups. Yeah, my fear is that it's not just about Donald Trump personally, but there is something that's sort of structurally or institutionally inherent in this sort of uh, vitriol and racism, and that Donald Trump is just sort of the vehicle for carrying it, and that uh, another. You know, ideologue or another somebody who seems to appeal to fascism could could light a spark under this stuff as well. 
Well, for now, Donald Trump is making a lot of money off of this. Yeah. What did we saw the news accounts where he's raising a million dollars a day in some of the days immediately preceding the Mar-a-Lago raid in campaign donations or, you know, donations to to his to his super PACs. So he has no incentive or little incentive to temper what he's saying. Yeah. Laura Italiano, senior correspondent for Insider. Laura, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. And thank you, David. You got it, and that'll do it for this edition of the conversation. On behalf of Asher Corfield, Mark Gillespie, Gina Kim, and the rest of the gang at the Young Turks, I'm David Schuster. Thanks for watching.